And uh, hi to the rest of you this morning. Let us take our Bibles and uh, turn once again to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 13, and we'll begin reading at verse 1, Mark chapter 13, and we'll read through verse 13, Mark 13, 1, and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what matter of, manner of stones and what, beaut- and what buildings are here. Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when these things shall be fulfilled? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for... They shall deliver you up to councils and in the synagogues. You shall be beaten and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand that you shall speak, neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not you that speak, but the Holy Ghost." Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word this morning, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've allowed us to be a part of. We thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in your house during this time to lift up your name in worship and praise. Father, as we look look for instruction from the Word of God, we would ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher, that we would be open, yielded, and Father, that you would change us to look look and be just like Jesus Christ a little bit more. Father, that is your desire. That's the reason we were saved. Father, as we look forward to the future, we see that Jesus here in the last hours of life on this earth, physically, he has much to say to his disciples. Father, take our time together and take us where you want us to be. We want to be yours more fully and completely than ever before. Thank you in advance for what you'll accomplish this day from your word through the Spirit. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen. Well, we've uh, been walking through with Jesus and his disciples the, the last week of his life, known as Passion Week. It was a time that was incredibly powerful, particularly if you break it down and you start to look at the context of all of the things that were taking place in Jesus' life and the people he was coming in contact with. Uh, once again, this passage is, is of, it's on a Wednesday, Wednesday of the last week. Uh, on Friday, he will be hanging on a cross. On Monday, he was hailed and crowned as king. (laughs) How could this be? 
You thought you've had a week of ups and downs? <laughs> Just imagine the, the whole total emotional roller coaster for even the people that are here in Jerusalem. They were there for a reason that they were going to be celebrating Passover. Passover, that, that celebration, commemorative, and that had been going on for hundreds of years, quite honestly, and it started back in Egypt when they were slaves to the Egyptians. And God, through Moses, who Moses had ran away, 40, and think of that change of, of life. For 40 years, he was in Pharaoh's palace, beginning as an Israelite. His mother, you know the story, put him in a basket and hid him away because his destiny at that point as a youngster, an infant boy, was death. There was no question. It wasn't like every other one. It wasn't one in ten. It was every single Jewish boy was to be killed. And his parents, mother particularly, and then his, uh, his sister was part of this whole thing. And th you think about the providence of God to take this little baby, which should have been killed by all standards that Pharaoh had set up, is not only <laughs> separated from his mother, but he becomes Pharaoh's son in, an es in, a, in a way. Right? Well, it's, just, it's just crazy to think about how God works. He's, it's the same God today. I might want to add that. As crazy as our world sounds, as crazy as it is, God is preparing people in places to do things that he wants to really bring bring Jesus Christ to the world. We find actually that's one of the things in the last days is what this whole passage is about, which I don't even know how far we'll get today. We may just summarize, we may just, but, but it's, it's, it's really the last session, literally for his disciples, and he's talking a lot about the future. They want to know about it. We'll be getting to that in a moment. But one of the things that is, is, is happening, and I, I heard, I was, I was uh, praying and studying in the other room, but uh, was that Transworld Radio, the clip? That, and that's interesting that literally they are part of uh, groups that are trying to spread the gospel around the world, literally. And radio waves are a fantastic way to do that. Uh, communism or Marxism or whatever you'd want to say that is trying to hinder or to stop Muslim, Islam, all of that, trying to put their hands up to ward against having the gospel come. You know what? Radio waves are pretty powerful, pretty amazing in the sense of where it can go. It's always been one of my favorites in the sense of, of ministries that are really canvassing the world. And you noticed in what we read today that literally one of the things that will happen is the message, the gospel, will s certainly blanket the world. And that when that's completed, whenever God says that's completed, uh, that's when the end truly does come. It's part of, just think of that. We're, we're investing in, in ministries that literally are engaging upon doing things that Jesus Christ talked about would be the culmination of the end. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. Um, that was a little branch today. Where were we going? We're on the final week. We're in the Passion Week. It's Wednesday. And Wednesday has been an amazingly long day, hasn't it? I mean, we, we've been engaged in several sessions here. I mean, it's several weeks in just describing that. Uh, that morning started on Wednesday where he saw, the disciples saw, this fig tree that had been cursed the day before was in fact dead. And that was amazing to them. Well, yes, it is dead because I cursed it, literally. And it was a picture of what was going to happen to Israel. That was the, it was the unfolding of the judgment that was impending and coming to Israel, particularly the religious leaders. And then they go in, and it's a day of, I would have to say, wonder and amazement in that temple, which had been just the day before cleansed by our Savior. He cleaned it out. And what did he do the day after? The most important thing that possibly could happen was to teach the people the truth. Not to kick the Romans out. Not to do anything that physically would have been... You can just see the list of schedules. If you were, this is the new king. What should we do today? This is a brand new kingdom. We're going to get after it. And he cleansed the temple, made everybody mad that was in power. And then the next day he started teaching the truth from there. 
woof, one, two, right? And all day long, and then they came after him. We spent several sessions on that. The Pharisees came with their best to try to take him out and joined up with the Herodians, the, the political sect of which they didn't like one another, but if you have a common enemy, it's amazing how you can come together and wield a great deal of power and influence to take one out. Well, they failed miserably, followed by the Sadducees. They were the ones that are the aristocrats. They were the ones that were really the power-hungry ones, and they came with their question on resurrection, which they didn't believe in. So, you know, it was a joke to them even. They were just trying to trap him. They were trying to get rid of him. Jesus handled that miraculously as well, followed by the scribe. What was the most important command? At the end of that one, it must have been a head-scratcher. Whoa, that is amazing, right? Amazing. And if, how many of you read Matthew chapter 23 last week as an assignment? Those of you who were here, that would be a... Oh, we got one. Okay, very good. Very good. Matthew 23 is amazingly powerful because this was how he wrapped up the public session to those religious leaders. He basically took them to the woodshed, if you will. There was no relent- He was relentless in describing exactly who they were and what they were doing. I'd like to go there for a moment because it, it ties us into this passage. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23 and just looking at the last portion of that. Matthew chapter 23, and we begin at verse 37. And the whole chapter, I mean, it's amazing. He just takes them on, if you will. He just drives the message home that they literally are everything that God does not want them to be. But then in verse 37, this was not only a turning point, but this was the end. This is the climax of him speaking to those religious leaders and also the crowds. This is the end. This is the last. He says in verse 37, Matthew chapter 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. And stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you something right there. They had no idea the length of time that he was speaking of. So far it's 2,000 years and, and going. From that day when he mentioned that, He said, oh, I wanted you. I came to you. I gave you everything. And you know what? There's no reason that you should not see me as the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah. I've given you everything imaginable, and you have rejected me. And the next time that literally that I will be focused or you will be focused on me will be when I come and you will see me for who I am. That is a future event. I don't know how far in the future, but it has not happened. So think of that. Over 2,000 years have happened, and that has not taken place. That's what's set up. Well, let's continue in Matthew, the parallel account to what we read in Mark chapter 13. It goes then in chapter 24, verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Now he's leaving, and it's, I would have to say, evening. Of all of the things that took place, it's now evening. The day is waning. His disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, one other thing I would just add, uh, there was another event. If you remember, we talked about it last week. Not only the sense of, of pushing away, there's no more debate. The religious leaders are not asking him more questions. He's totally stymied them. There's no communication whatsoever. And then he was sitting down in the temple in the court of women. And where these receptacles were, there's 13 of them, of which were received different offerings. And what he showed was really what the system had done, and it was really taking a widow and was destroying her life. She would put her last two 
coins, her last two mites, her last two one sixty-fourth of a day's wages. Think of that, one sixty-fourth of a day's wages. That's not a lot. But he knew that that was it. That was the end of it. Now, it's not about giving. It's the fact of what the system was doing to those widows. It was devouring them, had destroyed them. And then from that point, he got up, and they were exiting the temple to go home. Home being Bethany, he would have been going east from the temple. So on walking out of that, and the, one of the disciples, doesn't say which one, says that, wow, this is a beautiful place. It's amazing. And those from Galilee, they wouldn't have seen anything in the splendor and beauty that that temple would have represented. Now, you know, for sake of maybe a bit of review, for 50 years approximately, this temple had been in construction for 50 years. Now, there's been some building projects you and I have probably watched and say, man, that's taken a long time. I guarantee you, you haven't seen one in progress for 50 years. At least I, one that's actively, let's say that. There's some projects in my shop that are closing in on 50 years potentially. But I'm talking one that's actively engaged in construction for 50 years, and it went on for another 35. 85 years of construction time was involved in making this, this temple, which you've been here for the last several weeks. It was the size and scope of 35 acres. Now, not all building, but the whole complex, the temple was 35 acres. Think of that. And it's beautiful. Make no Herod is there to make, basically create this. He knew this jewel, this temple, was the number one way to get at the heart and the soul, if you will, of collecting and, and, and controlling the Jewish people. Give them an incredibly ornate temple. And he was, he was, a, he was a workman in the sense, a craftsman and all of the creators that he could be to make this a beautiful, beautiful place. And he created with a lot of money, lots of gold plating. He had a, a cluster of grapes that was actually gold. It was six foot high. I have no idea what that thing would have been worth. But the point of the matter was it was all external. What do you think God cared what that a gold six foot cl- cluster of grapes? I don't think it was high. Jesus made no reference to it. What was Jesus after? The same old thing. He wants the heart. He wants the heart. So, but this, it would have been very explained. And in fact, they said, as the sun would have come up in the east, facing, you know, coming up and shining on the temple, it was so bright you couldn't even look at it because it was mostly gold-plated and that sunshine on. So it was a, it was a spectacular place. Amazing. Totally amazing. And this disciple just kind of in passing. Now, I find it interesting. Jesus had just broken down the temple system and said, this is what's happening. The widows are literally being destroyed and devastated by this whole system of which, remember, and that makes sense because you'd obviously know the money that was being collected would go to the pockets of the Pharisees and those that were in charge. Why? Because Jesus said, this is to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves and robbers. But it was like it just went right over his head. Beauty, externalism, grabbed him again. Wow, what a place! And then Jesus says the unimaginable. He says there won't be one rock on top of another. Not one stone will be on top of another. Now that would have been, that was almost like, what? That is so outlandish. How could you say that? We've been building this thing for 50 years, and you say what? So now look at the, they have two questions. Matthew chapter, all right, let's go back to Mark. We'll use Mark's account. That's the one that we read. As he went out from the temple, verse 1, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. It's it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's got everything that is just amazing. And Jesus answering said, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. (laughs) They didn't even comment. They don't even know what to say, right? 
And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, now that would have been to the east. In other words, they would continue as they left the temple. They would have went east to the Mount of Olives. And, and if you go traverse over the Mount of Olives, or at least in a route around it, on the other side of it is Bethany. That's where he was spending two, two miles from Jerusalem to Bethany. That's where he was staying with Martha, Mary, and uh, Lazarus. There we go, the guy that he raised from the dead. And on Mount of Olives, he, they're sitting, they're taking a, uh, taking a moment. And there's four disciples there, not the whole group. Now, this is the one that's a little bit different. We usually have the, the inner circle of the three, right? Peter, James, and John. Well, this time we've added Andrew. So we have two sets of brothers. And they're asking him privately. You know, they, you know they're scared almost as, uh, what? what are you talking about? Now, let's talk from their perspective for a moment. What have they been learning in the last, particularly watching in this last week? What's going on in their, now, uh, from their perspective? I mean, we know we've read the rest of the book. We've read the rest of Jesus's. We've seen all of this stuff. They haven't seen Jesus dead. They haven't seen him alive after the fact. They are literally in this last week. They don't know it's his last week. They know something is going on because on Monday they were part of this coronation. They were starting to, they saw this one, the one that they had declared to be Jesus, the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, the one that had come, the son of David, the son of God. Literally, they had addressed it. They had seen him. And then on Monday, the whole crowd, tens of thousands of people finally got it and they've crowned him. Now, stop for a moment. Where are you at as a disciple? You are fired up. Now, Tuesday maybe not have been the way you'd have called it. In fact, Jesus, what are we going to do today? We're going to go into Jerusalem. Oh, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And the first thing he does, he goes, well, let's spend a little time here in the temple. Nothing wrong with that. And then he starts throwing people out and throwing stuff out and throwing all of this. He's just clean. Okay, this is a diversion. Why have we got to clean this up? But what are we going to do tomorrow? We're going to go back and teach the truth in the temple we cleared out yesterday. Okay. And now you've got a sense on Wednesday, it wouldn't take too much. These people that you've thrown their stuff out, they are ferocious. They are so mad, so ticked off, they will take Jesus' life in an instant. And you as a disciple have to feel that, don't you? In fact, let's even step back. You know, one of the reasons they didn't want to go to Jerusalem at all? Because they feared for Jesus' life. You go back in the con- before that. But here we are. They think he's king. We're good. We're on. We are going. We're going to the kingdom. Right? You can feel it. You can feel the enthusiasm. And he just said the temple was going to be destroyed. Huh. That's a new one. Why would that be necessary? Right? So they asked the question after he declared that. These four guys. Tell us. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when these, all of these things shall be fulfilled. Now, this is the longest answer in the Bible that Jesus ever gave to a question. <laughs> if you're in Matthew, it takes two chapters. In fact, I'm not even sure they even remembered what their questions were by the time he got done. But they want to know what's going on. Now, the other thing I want you to know, though, is their kingdom, their sense, their direction is all, has always been leading up. Jesus the Messiah, once he's identified that he is going to take over. This is the deal. This is Because that's what the Old Testament talked about. It talked about his coming. And remember in Luke chapter 4, the beginning of his ministry, remember he got up and read what would have been Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And right, at the, right in the middle of that section, which makes no sense whatsoever, but it was the difference between the first coming and the second coming, he stopped right there and sat down. And that must have been marveling to them. But look at back in Luke for a moment. Take your, take your Bibles, turn you go to the I'm on. I'm in Mark, I guess. Luke. Go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. 
Now, he's just had the event with, remember, in Jericho with Zacchaeus. So they're, this is, they're, they're, they're moving towards Jerusalem, if you will. Now, look at verse 11. He's just finished up with Zacchaeus. In verse 11, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh or close to Jerusalem, and because they, the disciples, thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Okay? He knows what they're thinking. Now, how far away is immediately? Well, like I said, thus far, well over 2,000 years. That's not the immediacy that they as the disciples would have understood, that they would have thought, that they would have saw. This is a total shock to the disciples. They knew Isaiah 9, that the government would be upon his shoulders. Zechariah 14, the ruling of, the king, of, of Jesus, the Messiah, as a, as a king. And what he's unfolding for them now is going to completely blow their minds. He's just told them that the temple in construction for 50 years would be wiped away, done. In fact, it's interesting in, uh, was that in, where was that at? Maybe that's in Luke. Are you guys still in Luke? Okay, I went back. Just stay there for a moment because I'm thinking. Uh, you remember there was something was stated, and I, you, to me, I'm just, just a side note, but now Luke chapter 19, just go down their ways, and uh, let's start at the the crowning, verse 37. Start there. Verse 37, Luke chapter 19. And when he was come nigh, even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Rebuke them for what? Why would the Pharisees say that? That's right. Hey, knock it off. Now, Jesus, you, you know better than this. Your, your disciples, are, they, they've crossed the line. They're saying that you're the Messiah. Make them stop that. Look how Jesus responds. He says in verse 40, I tell you that if these would hold their peace, my disciples, the stones would immediately cry out. What stones? Let's keep going. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Now, that's amazing. But Jesus' compassion, you know, you see the judgmental attitude he had toward the religious leaders, but you can see the love he had for the this, for this city, for the people, all the compassion. He wept over it. That's, a, that's, that's amazing. Saying, verse 42, if thou hadst known, if even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench around thee, Encompass thee round and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. What stone? In the temple. What stones would have cried out, Jesus is the Messiah? The stones in the temple, if the disciples hadn't. Isn't that amazing? It's all tying together. And he's saying, because of your lack of understanding that I am here for you now, the whole thing is going to be desolate, destroyed, as much as he loved them, as much as he cared for them. Back to Mark. Back to Mark. Now, uh, it's interesting. Jesus is saying this in approximately 30 A.D. This is the end of his life. Okay. Is it 28 A.D.? Is it 29 A.D.? Is it 30? I, you know, I... I'm just saying, approximately 30. Um, he is saying that the temple is going to be destroyed. 
hard for them to believe. In fact, if you don't mind, let's go to one more in the fact of the eminency that these would have seen. Now, even after Jesus was crucified, let's, let's skip forward now to the disciples' time frame, okay? Uh, in, in Thursday, they're going to meet around, they're going to have the last time together intimately fellowshipping, seeing Jesus as serving them, no less. And then on Friday, just almost immediately after having that meal, they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying with intensity, and then there's six trials that take place. By 9 o'clock in the morning, he's hanging on a cross, being declared. The, the people are saying, crucify him, crucify him, after saying, crown him king, son of David, on Monday. It's the same group. What went wrong? The disciples must have been moving from a high sense of euphoria to an can you imagine Jesus being on a cross? Where do you think your mind? Like, now put yourself in that first. You're one of the 12 disciples. Do you think your names would be what? You're next, correct? In fact, that's why they left town. That's why they hid. That's why they locked behind. That's why they're, right, they're hiding. Because their master, their rabbi, is he? Now, wouldn't that be starting to go through your mind? He's dead. How could this be the Messiah? How is this going to work? How are we going to have our king and our kingdom? And how is that going to right? He's in the grave. But even if he got through that on Sunday morning, he's not there. The women went out, came back. He's not there. Peter and John, right? They run and Peter was faster. <laughs> I have to give Peter credit for going, right? Because remember, how did, how did we find him on Friday? Depressed beyond belief. He denied his Savior, which he had said pridefully, he'll never, ever, he will go to the death with him. And by Friday morning, he had denied him three times. Can you see the emotional roller coaster these disciples are going through? And then, crazy of all crazy, they see him alive. And he's with them for 40 days. He's teaching them. He's remarkably gathering them and getting them ready, right? Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, just, just to show you how difficult it is for the disciples to get out of the moment, if we will, the, out of the moment. Uh, chapter 1 of Acts, verse 6, Acts 1, 6, when they therefore, the disciples, when they, the disciples, therefore were come together, they asked of him, this is the first question, he's been with them 40 days, on and off, Lord, wilt thou at this time? Restore again the kingdom of Israel. <laughs> this has to be the time. Now, we've watched you be crucified. We've watched you be buried. We've watched you be live to, to raise from the dead. You're, you're here. We've been here 40 days. Is this the time? <laughs> and he says, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, there's there's something there. He says it in Mark. We read it today. We read it here again. You know what? People, if you want to try to figure out when the rapture is or you want to figure out the end, stop it. It is not worth your time because nobody knows. If you pick a date, I guarantee you that one won't happen. I mean, it seems to be fairly clear, doesn't it? Now, we're to watch, take heed. Those are words that Jesus said. Pay attention, but... Don't spend time wasted trying to figure out when this happens. But then he goes on to say what's really important. This is what's really important. Keep going. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will receive the Holy Spirit. 
And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the world, of the earth. What? Now that's important. They were interested in the kingdom, and Jesus said, no, the most important thing right now is you, 11. Remember, there's one gone. Judas Iscariot is gone. Now think of, think of, the, think of this project. He's, he's unfolded this in one simple verse. I want you to evangelize the world. 11 of you. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving. <laughs> Boy, where did the kingdom go? Poof, it's gone. Excepting this is how the kingdom is built. One person at a time on earth. And he said, that's what I want you to do right now. Right now, that's what I want you to do. So you can see the eminency, the living in the moment of the disciples is just on their sleeve. Let's go back to Mark. That's why they're, saying, they're thinking this thing is going to happen quickly. Now, those of you that have followed history, those of you that know from 30 AD to approximately 40 years remaining, and again, they worked in the temple for 35 of those 40 years, we find that in 70 AD on August 29th, the emperor Titus came into the city, laid siege to it, and burned it to the ground. There were actually 6,000 Jews that were hiding inside the temple that were burned to death. There was tens of thousands of people that were killed in Jerusalem during this time of the destruction of the temple. I told you before, the Sadducees as a group, as a sect, ceased to exist after the temple was destroyed, just as Jesus said. This was an overwhelming thought, an overwhelming prediction, if you will. I'm not sure that it even could have been described for those people that were hearing it. What do you mean? How could you do that? And yet, just as God's Word always, invariably, without question, comes to take place, God's, reality is abs- or God's truth is absolute reality. And here it is again. In 70 AD, this took place. Now, there are those, there's a group called the Preterists that believe that all of the things that happen in Matthew 24, 25, what we find in, in, in Mark chapter 13 and in Luke chapter 21, that all of these things happened during the destruction of Israel. I'm sorry, well, I could say Israel, but the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, all of these things happened then. And ultimately, they would be called post-millennialists. They believe that life since then has gotten better and better and better and better and better and better and better. And it's going to continue to get better and better and better and better. And after the thousand-year reign, which isn't really literal, it's just kind of this thing where it gets so good that finally Christ comes back and he just walks in and he's a king. Now, I'm sorry, but that is not the message that Jesus is giving. If you were going to take Jesus' words, you would have to say he is a pessimist for human development, right? I mean, what part of that did you see as being really cool? Boy, I hope that happens soon. No. And humanity, because of its number one problem facing the planet, is sin. It's not climate change. It's not anything that has to redo. And, and you know, think of that. We, it seems like men, are more, men and women are more worried about what we are going to do to the planet than what sin has done to us. I'm not Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I'm okay with that. Because you know what? I don't have to worry about the planet. He made it. When, he's, when it's time for him to renovate it, and there's a part in Second Peter, I don't know to what level. Does he burn it completely up? Does he burn it to the level it's clear, finally pure? That's God's choice. That's what he's going to do. But I'm telling you, that's my point. When it happens, it's not going to be a man pushing a nuclear button. It's going to be God saying, enough, poof, and it's done, and it's fixed, and it's pure, and it's, it's unbelievable. And he's not going to let some man over and say, I'm going to blow them up. No, it ain't going to happen that way. 
There's not to say there's not devastation and demolition and all of that at the hands of, of men that are sin-filled. Yeah, that happens every day. 72 million people were killed as a, re, as a result of World War II. 20 million, World War I. Half a million people annually, if you average, a year since 1985 have died because of wars. We've got, we can do plenty of damage, but the things we concern ourselves with, society, aren't going to happen. My lifetime is not going to make that much difference. And I'm not saying to be a bad steward. I think we need to take care of the soil. We need to take care of all of the things that God has given. That's called stewardship. He, he told Adam to do that. We were to do that. But I'll tell you what. I'm not going to add one nanosecond to the length of this planet's life by whatever I do in regards to climate change. It's not going to happen. That's God's business. God's in charge. What I can do is exactly what he said to the disciples, which is the same for us today, is tell them about me, Jesus, so that they know who I am. That's literally the one thing that he gave, and that's the one thing that I say is still outstanding from literally the end coming, is for the evangelization of the whole entire world. Transworld Radio is part of that. You're part of that. The people that you come in contact this week, there may be someone that's never heard about Jesus. That's your responsibility because you have. That's what Jesus' whole message is about all of this. They're concerned about a temple, and they see it as happening. In fact, do they... Now, I, w- I want to ask this. When Jesus said, you know, you're, this, this place is going to be destroyed, completely just rubble, not one stone on top of another one. Hmm. Now, they couldn't even say it. They just, and then, then they get on the mountain, and they're by themselves, and privately, they say, when is that going to happen? Because in their, in their viewfinder, they would have thought that was going to happen probably, if that's going to happen, in the sense of cleaning, puring, uh, making it pure, that it'll happen quickly and then Jesus will be the king. You know, it's just like, it's all in this one fell swoop. And that was 40 years away. <laughs> in 70 AD, 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. Now think of us. I remember as just a little guy, well, maybe a little bigger than that. Going to Sunday school, going to church, going to revival meetings or whatever, and it was amazing, you know, the eminency of the rapture. And by the way, it's no less eminent today. But in my lifetime, and my previous generation's lifetime, and all the way back to the disciples' lifetime, John wrote the book of Revelation. And it was something that Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. Well, let's go to Second Peter for a moment. And quickly, <laughs> quickly in the disciples' eyes and quickly in God's eyes are not necessarily the same. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Well, actually, let's just start in verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, now this is Peter. This is one of the four guys that were on the, uh, the Mount of Olives asking this question, okay? This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Let me stop for a moment there. I was, uh, just as an aside, I was talking to, to, to a guy this week, or was it last week? I can't remember. And someone that would certainly not be a believer. I mean, he, he, 
there's nothing about him that would, dis- that's not me to say, except that's between him and God, but it would be something that if you asked him, he would say, no, I'm sure. But he said something that I was just, and he didn't mean anything by it, but it was just, he said, you know what? I don't know what, we're, I don't even know. I don't remember what it was like, haying or something, and it was really slow. He said, yeah, it's slower than the second coming of Jesus. This is a non-Christian. I mean, to think that 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 phrase, that phraseology would actually become of something that to him it was just meant a really long time that he's never coming back, right? That's a non-Christian. Now, for you as living on this earth, which 70, 80 years kind of gets it covered most of the time, and if you're 90, fantastic, and 100, that counts your blessings, right? Or whatever. I want to go home, personally, but whatever. But, you want, but you're here for a reason. Don't, don't ever discount that. Many of you, God has healed of various diseases, of various challenges. It's not because just for another day for you, it's another day for him that you have given him. That's why you're here. That's Rome, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Tell everybody about Jesus. Okay? But given that, <laughs> I think of the anticipation and the sense of, Yeah, he's coming back. That message has been said since Jesus was stating that to those four disciples. The last days, the last time. Are we living in the last days? Yes, we are. In fact, the last days began when Jesus left. That was the beginning of the last days. We're in this 2,000 plus year period. Now, let's keep going, though. In in this passage, you're still in 2 Peter, I'm assuming. Uh, da, da, da. Verse 4, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, it just stays the same. This goes on and on and on. There's no, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water were by the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. There was this flood that was very different. It was not uniformitarianism all of the time. But the heavens, verse 7, and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, verse 8, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He is outside of time. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You can count on it, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. And if he, doesn't come in, if he doesn't come for us today, you know the reason? You now know the reason. There's someone else that needs to come to Jesus. Every single person, every single one that will come to him, will come to him. It's not he won't say, oh, I should have waited one more day. I should have waited one more year. I should have, no. He is waiting for every single one, every single person. Now, I'm not here to say maybe there's someone that has not even been conceived that will come to him. Or, literally, the eminency, he could come before I finish this sentence. <laughs> it's right there. Literally, right there. The disciples thought he was right there. But he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't. Let's go back to Matthew or to Mark, Mark chapter 13. They've asked the questions, how will he answer it? Well, the first thing he says is take heed. Take heed, be careful, lest any man deceive you. I want to stop there for a moment. Uh, in your life, young or old, or in the middle, have you ever seen a time in which there's more opportunities to be deceived than today? 
in almost innumerable ways. I got something, uh, I got something on my phone, it's several, several texts, that my Amazon account, which I didn't know I had one, first of all, I'm not, I'm not that guy, but somewhere in our ranch, whatever, we probably do, right? Logan, probably. Somebody's bought something from Amazon. But they said, because of, uh, what was it? Uh, unusual activity and left something they were going to call. Well, the first four, I didn't even, you know, whatever. I don't, it's none of my business. And then there was one that came, you know, you need to call this number immediately. And I thought, well, rather than do that, I better find somebody who knows what's going on. So I texted or called Larissa and I said, what's this? I, oh, actually, I just forwarded it to her. She writes back one word, scam. Now, to the unknowing that I don't know anything about that stuff, you see how vulnerable I was? And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. In fact, I would say so little of what is actually quoted as news is actually true. Right? And unless you're right there, you don't know. I had stories of which I was right there that were reported, and I'm saying, that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. And Jesus is saying, right, the first thing, as they've asked this question, when is this going to happen? And they are, again, just looking at the temple. He's going to take this discussion and move it much bigger, much more robust, much greater and grander in vision. He's going to actually take them from, yes, this will be destroyed. But I'm going to take you all the way to the end of the age, which is for sure over 2,000 years. I've got a plan. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Easily, easily done. Verse 6. For many have come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Now, again, uh, when you see Christ, often just the way we read it, we see Jesus Christ. We think that that's his name. No, Christ is a title. Jesus was his name. Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter. That would have been his physical name, Jesus. But Christ, when you couple it to that, it would be Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Christos, Jesus, the son of David, which would make him the, the Messiah. He's saying there's going to be others that are going to claim to be the Messiah. Has that happened? Oh, my goodness. Numerous times. I think of even yesteryear. Remember that clown? I, I shouldn't say that, but Jim Jones. Remember him? What was the name of that? The people, I can't remember the name of the group. Yeah, but they still were the most... They still are number one at the most deaths. In one spot. In one, yeah. They still are. Yeah, if you followed him, you paid. 900 deaths. There was over 900, actually, in a, in a foreign country. And literally just drank poison. Now, think of that. Think of, think of that devotedness to, an, to a what? Let's call it what it is. A false Christ. <coughs> Yeah, don't drink the Kool-Aid. I think that's where it all started from. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And as sad as that is, people lost their lives, 900 plus, yeah. following so the wrong disciple, the wrong, uh, I'm sorry, the wrong Messiah, the wrong Jesus. <clears throat> the wrong Jesus. There's a lot of wrong Jesuses. In fact, um, there are some that, it's, I, I think I kind of remember this. I, I don't, if it was the president or was someone uh, during the 911 attacks, that it was, it was it, taking an approach that, you know, at that time, it was incited that the Muslims or the, 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 the Islamists, the radicals, what, what's the name of those, uh, what's the name of that term? Um, in, the, in fact, taking on the infidels to destroy them, there's a, there's a war. What's, what's the name of it? Jihad. Jihad. And, and because of jihad, 
uh, that literally, you know, they're following Allah, the God of Islam. And there was someone that took this position that, you know what, we need to be careful not to alienate the Muslims too far because they're worshiping God as well. And almost like a monotheistic uh, belief would literally say, well, there's one God and they have one God and we have one God and so it's okay. That, my friends, is a deception from hell. Allah is another name for Satan in reality. The messages that really are there, in fact, let's take Jesus. And this is one of the things we say behind that, is that they have a Jesus and they believe in Jesus, the Muslims. And they do, by the way. But who is their Jesus? Who is their Jesus? Well, one thing we know for sure is he was just a man. Just a man. He was, remember what we talked a couple weeks ago? <gasps> That's a big red flag. Hello, stop, don't go there. But you know what? For someone who doesn't know that, Jesus, well, that's nice. Jesus was a good man. He walked on the earth. He was a good teacher, right? Now, even they go further and they say that he didn't die. He just was, he escaped. He escaped death. And he actually, like Elijah, went to heaven. And he's there right now at the right hand of God because God's going to summon him for another entrance into or onto the earth. So let's, let's make sure we get back up right now. So their Jesus, the Muslim's Jesus, is one that was just a man. He left early, didn't die, so he certainly couldn't atone for anyone's sins. Well, he couldn't anyway because he wasn't God. Is that the Jesus you want? Oh, but he's coming back. Wait, see, they believe in a coming back. Well, he's going to come back as a man again. But we have to back up for a moment. Let's, let's name some terms. There's three very, very important things that are coming in the future for a Muslim. Uh, da, 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 da. And one of them is, do you guys remember Ahmadinejad, the guy that was the leader of Iran? He was a fruitcake. Remember him? Nobody remembers him? Oh, he's a wild man. Anybody? Nobody? Ah, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. That's what you're having trouble with, right? Ahmadinejad was the way I said it. But anyway, I said, oh, oh, oh. No, but anyway, this guy, he had one thing that he said every time when he closed out. Is he prayed for the Mahdi, M. M-A-H-D-I, that the Mahdi would come. In fact, it's thought that he actually believed he was for a while. I don't even know if the guy's around. I don't hear anything about him. Anybody know, this? Was, is he dead? Is he alive? But he's, he's not anymore the leader of Iran. And that the Mahdi, what is the Mahdi if you're a Muslim? Does anybody know? That would be the Messiah. That would be the Christ. That would be the one coming to really, literally take and create this super cool kingdom of everything is prosperous in every way possible and beyond your imagination. That's what and who the Mahdi is. Okay? Well, then there's, where does Jesus lay into this? Because that's kind of our Jesus, right? In fact, it says that the Mahdi will come on a white horse. And he's going to make a, a, a covenant, a treaty. This, this, this is from the, from the Quran, which is the, the writings of, from Allah. And then the Sunnah, or the Hadith, which would be the writings of Muhammad. Okay? Based on these two books, this is where we're getting this information. Uh, the Mahdi, he would come, the Messiah would come on a white horse, and he would make a, a peace treaty with the Jews for seven years. If you read Revelation chapter 13... The Mahdi to us would, in fact, be the Antichrist. He fits it perfectly. So where's Jesus? Well, Jesus actually is going to come back when God tells him to come back. And his main focus, because he's not as high up. See, the Mahdi is the most superior. Jesus, the Muslim Jesus, I better say that, the Muslim Jesus, will come back as in chapter 13, I'm sorry, as the 
as the false prophet to us. To us. To them, he will be this guy that's going to, Jesus is going to just kind of be the sidekick for the Mahdi. He's going to help him. He's going to go out and give him direction. He's going to, in any way possible, he's going to help the Mahdi. That's the Muslim Jesus. But it gets worse. There is actually an Antichrist in the Muslim system. And I don't even know exactly how to say it, but it is uh, D-I-J-J-A-L. Is anyone, is someone here versed in that language? Uh, I don't know what, Dajjal? I don't know. At any rate, that is their Antichrist. Okay? Now, you know what he does? Do you know what this Antichrist comes back as? This is from Muslim. Now, think about, this is not Larry being a heretic right now at the front. This is literally their their testimony of who Jesus is. This Dajjal, this Antichrist that is going to come to the earth is going to impersonate, he's going to declare himself to be Jesus, the Son of God. Now, do you know, let's go back. So I'm going to use Jesus, the Muslim Jesus. Do you know why he comes back? His main focus, are you ready? Is to take we, the Christians, the Jews, the ones that got it wrong, the ones that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he actually died on a cross, that he actually saved us from our sins. When Jesus, the Muslim Jesus, comes back to earth, he's going to say this. Guys, 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 Christians, Jews, you got it all wrong. I didn't die for anyone. You got to get this right. So he's going to pack and save us from our ill-conceived ideas of who Jesus is. Now, this Jesus, the Muslim Jesus, is actually going to engage in battle with their Antichrist, and he will be killed, the Antichrist, who said he was the Son of God. So what we actually have is we have the Muslim system that believes Jesus, our Jesus, the Christian Jesus, the Bible's Jesus, is literally the Antichrist, and their Savior is the Antichrist. And we're supposed to believe that we are on the same page? That is deception. There's a cult that I'll leave unnamed that believes that Jesus is the half-brother of Lucifer, that he was created. Sorry. We can't have anything to do with that kind of theology. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. The deception of who Jesus is is everywhere. I hope you didn't even follow that. Because you know what? If you didn't, that means you weren't deceived. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit was saying, you know what? And you know the best way for people that are confused about that? What would you tell them? Well, you just need to study that Quran just a little bit more. It's probably, no, no, don't bother. Get into the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Jesus is saying, take heed because there's going to be people that will come in my name. The deception will be amazing. Even uh, you think of that whack job um, it was even beyond that. But Charles Manson, he believed he was a Messiah. And their people believed him, right? There's dead people because of him. There's people today believe that they are the Messiah. Now, why did I use, I spent a little bit more time on Muslims and Islam than maybe I would normally have done. But if you take the Roman Empire as it was in the New Testament era, that massive amount of country. Today, 60% of that empire is Muslim controlled. Think of Europe and the push from Islam into Europe. 
They've about taken over France. I think in America, we have some radical Islamists that literally have infiltrated our government. This is what they believe. This is what they will die for. His name was Obama. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to go there because you can add anything you want. But if that's what you believe, that's what Jesus Christ would have said. You've been deceived. Deceived. And I think our world has been deceived. Society is really, really, and again, there's another word that we want to get at, where we go today, this is much, this is a really big project, we're going to be involved here for a number of weeks, okay, in what Jesus is talking about, this is his last session, his last real session with his disciples, and it's all about the future, Do, do we think the future is important, yes we do, Jesus made it important, and the other thing is, Let's go to verse, uh, I think we'll find it in Mark chapter 13, verse 8. And I'm going I'm to use a couple of different instances. Mark chapter 13, verse 8. Uh, it talks about nation shall rise against nation. Are you all, all there? Mark 13, 8. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and trouble. Now, how many of you, uh, do we have any of that yet? Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. 10 nations, 40% of the people are going to die. In 10 nations right now, I just read it last night. of the people are going to die from famine because we can't help them. That is horrible. And there's just so many places of distress and disaster, right? Okay. Pakistan, floods. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's all crazy. Somalia, famine. But the interesting part for me is that's something that we are engaged in right now. I don't know if you knew this or not, but if I was going to ask you, how many earthquakes are there a year? And I'm talking about recorded on a Richter scale. Now, I'm not talking about ones that you feel. I'm talking about just earthquakes that are literally being be able to register on a Richter scale. Anybody take a, take a shot? I heard thousands. Yeah. How many thousands? 10,000. 10, okay. That's, that's all I want. I want, because I'm this guy, I want to play with the rest of the crowd. So you've helped me. So 10,000. How many think more than 10,000 a year? Okay. Quite a few. Okay. How many more than 10,000? See, now you're on the spot. Hundreds of thousands, okay? It averages a half a million or 500,000 earthquakes every year. So that's not new information, is it? We have earthquakes. We have famines. In fact, I think we're on the cusp of famines becoming literally worldwide. If you study, and I can't go down this street too far, but if you were going to take one nation to mess up, to really take a growing season away from them, the one I would pick in Europe would be the Ukraine, okay? And I'm not smart enough to say I'm behind and I know all of what's gone on between Russia. I don't know any of it. I've heard a lot of different things, but I don't know the truth for sure. But I do know this. If you were going to mess with one nation and you look at the amount of produce that they produce in the sense of feeding the rest of Europe particularly, which, again, Europe is tied to the rest of the world, 
everybody's inventory becomes suspect. It's, it's like any, it's a tipping of one domino. You take one less bushel than we need to supply, and you see what I'm saying? It just becomes a mess. That, my friends, will have an impact that I don't think we have any possible way of knowing. No one is even talking about it. Wheat prices, I'm in the wheat market, have were between $12 and $13 this spring. Now, if someone can explain to me why it went down to 8 with the Ukraine not planting a crop, I would be interested to know. That has to be just an absolute just an aberration. We will see worldwide hunger from just that one event. But that's just, again, my point is, I'm not here to declare, well, where are we at in all of this? I don't know, but I know that these are things that are happening now. But this is how Jesus describes it. In your Bible, in verse 8, it goes on and finishes that very thing. Because there's wars, yes, there's wars all the time. Rumors, absolutely. There's nation against nation. There's earthquakes, there's famines, there's troubles. But then it says, these are the beginnings of sorrows in the King James, or it would say the beginning of birth pangs, the travail of a woman giving birth. When do those start in a normal pregnancy? Just after conception? Of course not. Mid-pregnancy? Let's hope not, right? For the women in particular, they're voicing that opinion. But again, I said normal pregnancy. When does the birth pangs actually happen? To the very end of the pregnancy, right? So that tells us another thing. We are at the end of the times in regards to how God sees it. And then what happens is those birth pains, they shorten up the frequency, closer and closer, and more intense. That's the word we're looking for. That is what Jesus uses to describe these events that are here. And wouldn't you have to say, all of the troubles, the distresses, the disasters that we see worldwide, the frequency is immensely increased in the last number of years. And the war and the rumor. Look, look at our country, the divisions that are taking place. I mean, you, you could literally just drop a hat and we could, have a, we could have a civil war. And I would have to say legitimately. I mean, it's crazy, right? All of these things. And then we even talk about families. He even gets into that. Brother against brother. Father against mother. All of that. Is that true? You better believe it. Particularly when you look, look, at, look at the Islamic religion when someone becomes a Christian. When one actually, that's amazing. If we're worshiping the same God, guess who knows it's not the same God? It's the Muslims. Why don't you try being a Christian in a Muslim household sometime? You will be killed, at best excommunicated, and driven out. Does that sound like they think it's the same God? No, no. But Satan wants you as a Christian to believe that it's okay. Now, God won't allow that because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You have, you have possibilities of understanding in the sense of deciphering untruth that no one else has that does not have the Holy Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit because you've trusted Christ as Savior. Thank God for that today. I don't know how a non-Christian could get through this world right now and traverse it without just falling in pitfalls, falling off a cliff here and there. And it happens, doesn't it? Look at, look at, look at, look at the families. Look at, our, look at everything. Eric, can I read this to you? 2020, a year of unpredicted hunger, as many as... Eight, 828 million people go to bed hungry every night. That's going to get worse. And it said it's, it's reached, um, this total soared from 135 million to 345 million since 2019. Right. It's, and that's going to go up. 
See, see, you see what that just says? It just says exactly what I was going to tell so you. It says it's true. Eight. What Jesus said is true. It's going to get worse. And it, it says it's getting worse. It's going to get worse. And it's not because they said it. It's because Jesus said it, right? We're at a critical crossroads, and this is from um, World Food Hunger Programs. And then, yeah, exactly what Jesus said. Exactly what he said. Let's go to John chapter 15 for a moment. John chapter 15. And this shouldn't surprise us either. Those disciples probably were thinking, how is this going to work out? What is this going to work out? Look at this. This is what John the Apostle wrote in his gospel. John 15, 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Oh, that feels better, right? <laughs> oh, good. That's what we have to look forward to, right? How about first, or Second Timothy? Go there for a moment. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, verse twelve. Second Timothy chapter three, verse twelve. Actually, let's just take a step back to verse eleven. Second Timothy three eleven. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Remember, he said five times. I was beaten. You know what that is? That's being whipped. Well, they, always, they said 40 lashes, but they stopped one short just in case they counted wrong. It was 39. Did you guys know that? That's why it was 39 and not 40? Because they didn't want to be wrong. Oh, oh well, good. Well, we're a short one here. Yeah. <laughs> five times, five different places, Paul was beaten, whipped. But keep going. Yes, verse 12, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's not a matter of if, it's when. It's absolutely true. But you know what he does, what God supplies us with, just as he did with Paul. Go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you know the situation, he was actually, uh, he had some type of an infirmity. In fact, we'll just pick it up and read it. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Now, he had actually seen into the third heavens. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what that was. There's lots of thoughts, but it doesn't matter. But obviously, how many of you had just a, just, just a little thorn in your foot, in that, boy, this is fun, right? <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to take that shoe off, take that sock off immediately, and make it go away, right? So now just think of this thorn, and I'm thinking bigger, right? I'm thinking something, and you, and you can't get it out. That's literally what Paul is talking about. Whatever it was, was it his eyes? Was it, I, I don't know that, but it, you can just tell from the, the situation that that was something that was very painful, and then it says, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. In fact, Satan was the one that brought it. And God used it so that I wouldn't be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. Are you guys good with that? I might even want a few more. <laughs> but the point of the matter is this, verse 9, this is what I'm getting to. He said unto me, this is the response after praying it three times. This is why he stopped praying, was he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect 
in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glad, uh, glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ rest upon me. That verse 9 is so powerful and one that we as Christians really need to just capture because that's literally what all of the things that happen to you, all of those challenges, all of those persecutions, all of those afflictions, anything that literally is painful to you, right there tells us that God will bear you up. He will give you enough grace that's sufficient for you. That is pretty comforting. Nothing can happen that He will not give you enough grace. Let's go back to our text. Uh, one of the things that I, I've just got in my notes here, let's go back to Mark chapter 13. And we'll more than likely go back over some of this as well. Uh, verse 10, or, or, here we go, verse 9, it follows up what we were just reading. But take heed to yourselves. There's another take heed no moment. There's been two of them. One was for deception, and this one is taking heed, being careful to yourselves. For they're going to deliver you up to councils. Be, be prepared, if you will, to the synagogues that you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And look at verse 10. The gospel must first be published among all the nations. That verse right there, that to me is the last thing, and that's in God's control. That's in His, that's in His but, but again, we should be helping to do that in every imaginable way, getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out there to the world. Now, God knows where that is, level is. He knows when it's going to meet that, with that point, that's the end. But that literally is the only thing that I can see that we would be waiting on. Verse 11, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought there beforehand that you shall speak, neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak you, for it is not you that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now that is amazing power as well. And if you read, if you, how many of you read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's an amazing, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, to look at these people that did literally gave up their lives for Jesus Christ. They were martyred, they were killed, they were, they, 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 death is right there. And the things that they said, the way they responded, there is no way it couldn't have been God's grace lifting them up and the Holy Spirit speaking through them for their last words that they gave. Even Stephen, remember him? He was stoned to death and he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he was looking into heaven, seeing his Savior. Those, those, are, those are things for us as Christians. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that you, that you want to be there as a martyr, but if you, in fact, find yourself there, which I want to take to the last point. This is something we want to clarify. Uh, in, let's see. Verse 12, you will even expound upon it. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death. The father of the son, the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. Verse 12 today is probably, again, no more prominent than what we see than, than right now. And what I mean by that is in a supposedly unbiased um, what's the, the other word? Tolerant, a tolerant society. The one religion that you can't tolerate is Christianity. Now, Christianity is to tolerate everything else, but the rest of the world doesn't have to tolerate Christianity. And that's absolutely true. But it's even the sense of not even tolerance, it's the sense of hatred. And you can feel that. You can feel that from the news, the, the, all of the news media. When they, when they interview a Christian, it's, it's always a slant against it's always a vindictiveness. There's something about that. That will, again, escalate. That's going to increase. But here's the, here's the verse I want to get to. Verse 13. Well, it still goes on. But you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake because of Jesus. But watch now. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, if you read that, you almost get the idea that, well, then, if I have to endure to be saved. 
There's a lot of people that read it that way. Okay? In other words, wow, the only way that I can, I can be saved then is if I endure. I have to endure to get through this. You grit your teeth. Have you ever done that? You've got a job in front of you. Just grit your teeth and do it, right? I think my dad even used to say, Larry, just grit your teeth and do it. Like, knock it off. Just get it done, right? Is that what Jesus is saying? Just grit your teeth and get through it. No. No. No, endurance, you are not earning salvation by enduring. You're proving your salvation by enduring. Because God is behind. We just talked about it. How do you get through these? Is it you? No. It's God's grace. This is sufficient for you. And when you're in that spot, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit wants you to say, and and I've had those moments where, I mean, I got nothing. And I'm in a situation I have to have something. And it's one of those bullet prayers, God, what do you want me to say? That's a great place to be when I don't have something to say, right? It should be that way all the time. God, what do you want to say right now? It's not about me. Tell me what it is. And afterwards, you know, what said that I'll even see it in printer was, wow, that was not me. That was pretty good. Because why? Because it was the Holy Ghost. Those are promises that he's given to you, right? So sometimes we, are, we worry about things we shouldn't even be thinking about. Because those are promises that literally are yours if you've trusted Christ as Savior. Number one, the Holy Spirit lives within you and has you. Great place to be. And then when those difficult times, whatever they might be, for you, it, for Paul, it might be something, he, he has something that he really can't hardly endure. And for me, it might be very, very different. But God's grace is sufficient for Paul. And then the Holy Spirit literally allows him to have the words he needs to say. Isn't that true? Absolutely true. I was, uh, I don't know why I'm going to say this. I was, uh, I was at an award ceremony. Uh, we were... We were awarded the Pioneer Breeder of the Year from the National Reading Association at Kalispell on Friday night. And it was, it was, it was kind of a, it was really an emotional media, uh, ceremony kind of thing. And one of my very best friends was given Breeder of the Year, Bruce Ketchum from Plevin, Montana. And be, pray for Bruce's uh, mother, Mary. Mary has been in, in bedridden for five weeks. And they don't even know exactly what's going on. But she's in Billings right now. Bruce jetted back to Billings. She was life flighted there. And uh, so but Mary, uh, Bruce Ketchum, at any rate, Bruce and his wife Tina were, were awarded the uh, Breeder of the Year. And, uh, you know, it's somewhat steep. You don't know what's going on, right? And so I, I was, that was really cool because they, they, they are service people. They are godly service people. I mean, they're fantastic. And, you know, it wasn't so much about Cal. And, and then the, the, the award after actually went to us. And I was just saying, God, what do you want me to say? You know, you never know what to say, right? I mean, you know, you know, really, what, what are you going to say? And, you, and it can't be very long. And, so, and Bruce was the one that actually presented the award because, oh, there's another guy you need to pray for. Um, Ross Knott in Nebraska, a good friend of mine, was actually came, drove from Nebraska to present this award. He was doing the presentation. And his wife's father had a stroke the night before. So they drove back. Now, the good news is, is that uh, Danny would be Ross's wife's name. Her father is the one that suffered a stroke. He actually had a reaction to an MRI dye that they were looking for something in his, in his spine. But it looks like it's, it's way better than it could be. But pray for both those people. At any rate, so I, I walk up, and I said something like this. I said, you know, I was just thinking driving today. We've been in the business for 45 years, which isn't, you know, whatever. And I said, those of you that know me and our family, uh, the road's been bumpy in the last several years. But it's the bumps we grow on. 
and thank you for your prayers. And let's just keep trusting our Lord. It was short, it was succinct, and afterwards it was like, that was cool, right? Because I'd asked God to give me those words. And then after the fact, Bruce called me the next morning, and he, he was just filling me in, and he said, Larry, it's the bumps that we grow on. He said, I needed that last night. That's how God works, isn't it? That's how he works. He knows what we need and where we need it. And we're not smart enough to know that. But the Holy Spirit lives within us, and God giving us enough grace that's sufficient for the day. That is so cool to be part of that. That's why, and I want to, I, I, again, it's myself, I need to do this too, but do you have those nudgings where you need to call somebody? Do it. Do it. Oh, I'm too busy. I'll get them. No, do it. You will, you will be amazed that when you make that call, it is exactly at the right time. Oh, I can't, I needed that right now. Yes, God knew that. That's how he uses us. That's why you're here for such a time as this. That's what makes your life special because God is living within you. He has plans for you that you don't even need to know as long as you know he is in your plans. That's what it's about. That's what it's all about. Wow, I just, so much stuff here. Let's, let's just close with this. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And let's look at verses 20 and 21. This is where our eyes, this is what it's about. Verse 20, Philippians chapter 3. For our conversation, our citizenship, we are citizens. That's where we really belong is where? In Montana? Oh, you mean your Bible doesn't have it? Let me read it. For your citizenship is in Montana. No, your citizenship is in the United States. Your citizenship is in the world. Oh, no, see, see when I say that, did you see the difference? We know we're not supposed to be in the world or of the world. But you see how attached we can come to where we live and who we are? But no, look at this. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking for him who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That has not happened. Someone that says that Jesus has come back or we're in the whatever you want to say, no, 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 it has not happened. Trust me, I do not have that body, (laughs) nor do you. It's coming, though. It's coming. And the, and the bionic arms and the bionic legs and all of that, that is nothing compared to what you're going to get. You don't need anything bionic. It's heavenly. And our citizenship is in heaven. Praise God. Any questions, comments? Nothing. Okay. Very good. Oh, wait. Do you mind? One more. Let's go, let's go to Revelation for just a moment. Six times this is declared in the book of Revelation. We'll go to all the way to the end, uh, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20. Now, these words that John had gotten on the Isle of Patmos, there was no one else there. It wasn't a phone call. There wasn't faxes. There wasn't texts. There wasn't Instagrams. There was nothing of that. He's on an island, solitary, because that's where the leader felt he was safe, not having this guy interject anything into the rest of society. And look what we have. We have the book of Revelation. Verse 20 He, that would be Jesus Christ, he's the one that he got the message from. He which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. Amen. 
Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That is absolutely should be our prayer going forward. And in the meantime, how can you use me? How can you use me? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, your, for the opportunity to be here in this place, studying, worshiping, trusting you at a higher level, seeing how you provide enough grace that is just enough for me. Thank you for, for providing our daily needs. Sometimes, Father, it's just five-minute intervals is what we have to just, just to get through it. Father, you're there. You're alive, you're well, just as you were there for Peter and Paul and James and John and Andrew. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Father, you are not stymied or hindered by anything that's taking place right now. All of the things that are going on, and it will be, the, the, the whole society will get worse and worse. Jesus describes it in these last conversations that he had with his disciples. But we have nothing to fear. Because, Father, wherever we are, you are. The Holy Spirit lives within us. May we be careful to yield to the Spirit. May we give you everything that we are. Father, here we are today, a week in front of us. We'll need your protection, first of all. Provide protection, Father, in all the wings we will come in contact with. Father, we, our strength is in you. Father, lift us up. Give us the courage we need to attack tasks that seem daunting, that are overpowering. Father, even the glory that we can give to you by living for you literally is immeasurable. Thank you for the directions you gave to the disciples. There were things that they wanted to know that literally weren't even important. The here and now is important. Father, our world is messed up as it is. The most important thing we can do is to deal with sin in our lives personally by the power of yourself and then to expound and to preach and teach Jesus Christ by lives and by words. Father, you are God. You are God alone. Help us. Keep us. Encourage us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.